welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Good morning, everyone. There we go. All right, there we go. Uh, I'm just going to open us up with prayer. So if you guys can pray with me, that'd be great. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to, to come together as a family, God. Thank you for all of the different um, things you've already been doing today, God, with conversation, with worship, with the offering, with uh, communion, God. We know that your presence, your spirit is in this place. And so we pray that you would continue the work that you've already started in us, God, that you would open our hearts to receive from you um, and to be changed by you, God. We pray that you would remove all the distractions, all of the confusion, anything that, is, that would get in the way of what you want to do, God. We pray that you, that would be just left at your feet and that we would be able to just sit in your presence and um, be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. So you can turn there in your Bibles or swipe there in your Bibles at, Bible apps or whatever you have to look at the Word. It's also going to be up here. Um, we've been in a series called Life Worth Living, where we've been walking through the book of Ephesians to really take a look at how God says to live the life that he's called us to live, right? God has given us a brand new, powerful, supercharged life, and he's also given us instructions on what this life is and where it comes from and how we're supposed to live this out. Um, and so in this talk, we've been, or in these different talks, we've been talking about how through Jesus, we've been brought from death to life and been given access to God and every spiritual blessing in Christ. And how Jesus has given us a uniqueness to build each other up as we become more and more united as the body of Christ. And now we no longer live under the control of sin, but we're able to use our gifts, use our uniqueness, use this life that God's given us to become one and to pursue oneness And as we grow in community. And so in today's passage the writer of Ephesians, Paul, is going to begin talking about specific relationships in this godly community and how they are to live out this new life. So let's read Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit to, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So... I want you guys to, uh, we want us all to really pay special attention to that second to last verse. Paul says that in all the stuff he's saying to the married couples, he's actually really been talking about Christ and the church. That means that there is something in here 
for every Christian, whether male or female, married or single, young or old, because we all are part of the bride of Christ. And so in this talk, we really want to keep focused on what God is saying about the church, about how we all are supposed to relate to Jesus and how he relates to us. But since it's also talking about um, husbands and wives, and since I'm only half of that equation, that's why my beautiful, smoking hot wife, Emma, is up here with me. She has much more experience being a wife than I have. And so because of that, though, she has a unique insight into what it means being the bride of Christ that I don't. So good morning, everyone. Thank you for having me up here. Um, So full disclosure, Jason and I are not up here because we are experts at marriage. Uh, We have only been married for six years, and sometimes it is painfully obvious that we still have a lot to learn. Um, So we're not speaking up here as graduates of this course on marriage, but more like failing students who um, now have some of the test questions that we're going to tell you to study on. Um, So... But thankfully, we don't have to rely solely on um, the wisdom gained from our experience. Um, And because God, the author of life and the inventor of marriage, has given us instructions um, for how to live a life worth living. So you might have noticed that in this text, the weight of it falls heavier on the husbands with more words given to explaining how they should be loving their wives. Uh, But We're going to focus more on the wife part, um, mainly because every Christian in this room um, is a part of the church, the bride of Christ. Um, And so also we um, are going to be talking about the word submit because that can carry a lot of baggage in our culture and be confusing. So we want to take a look at what the Bible shows us submission is and is not. All right, so firstly, submission does not mean that one person is less than another. It's not a statement of value. Before giving the call for wives to submit to their husbands, Paul calls every believer to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Right? And it's not reverence to each other. So wives submit to husbands who are submitting to wives who are submitting to husbands and so on and so on. And this is not because the husband is is good or the wife is good, but it's because Christ is good. So we're submitting out of reverence to to honor Christ. Um, Oops, I missed my... (laughs) Thanks. I will submit. (laughs) Um, As stated earlier in Ephesians, we are all members of one body and shares together in the promise. So secondly, submission is never justification for abuse, violence, or adultery. There is never a good excuse for emotionally, physically, sexually, or any other type of abuse of any of God's children, right? When Paul calls for wives to submit to their husbands, he does not mean that the wives must sit silently while their husband breaks the covenant that he had made to love and protect her. Um, 1 Corinthians 3.17, Paul writes that, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. So God takes very seriously this issue of taking care of his children, and he will take vengeance on anyone who who harms his sons and daughters. So in the same vein, submission is not something that someone else can force or demand. Right? Some people balk at the idea of the Bible saying that the husband is the head of, you know, and the wife should submit because they think, well, 
I want to be the head honcho. I want to be the boss. That's, that's the place we're all trying to get to, right? We want to be the, I want to be the boss of me. I want to, get to be the person who gets the lion's share. But that is not at all what biblical leadership looks like. In describing biblical leadership in Mark 10, 42 and 44, Jesus explicitly states that whoever wants to be great among us must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to be number one, must be slave of all. And so if you're the head of the house, husbands, that doesn't mean you get to demand obedience. That means you get to bend over backwards to love and serve your wife like Christ loves the church. And how much does Christ love the church? So much that he gave up everything for her. Power, prestige, glory, fame. He gave up even his own life in order to lift her up, to honor her, and to make her radiant with beauty. Right? That's what you, or that's what we husbands are called to do for our wives. To lay down our lives for her, to lift her up, because we know that loving her is like loving our own self. So submission, then, is not something that a husband would demand because we should be too busy dying to ourselves in order, in, so that we can love our wives and meet their needs. Submission is also not unquestioning obedience. So there's a story in 1 Samuel 25 where a man named Nabal basically taunts David and his army of mighty warriors, and he taunts them in such a way that it's basically guaranteed that, that he and his entire family and his entire household are going to be murdered in revenge, right? And so his wife, Abigail, who was not there when this taunt was made, hears about this from the servants. The servants go up to her and they're like, hey, uh, Nabal did something really stupid. Can you help us out? And instead of, you know, go, like bowing to his women and saying, well, he said no, so I guess we got to submit, she goes behind his back, and takes care of the situation. She apologizes profusely. She takes the blame even on herself, right? She identifies with Nabal, submitting herself to him and to his choices, but taking the blame for them because she's looking out for his best interests. Um, her submission was not about following his, her, his every whim, but about seeking and supporting him, even to take on his failures as her own. And so in a similar way, submission does not mean following your husband into sin. In Acts 5 and through, uh, 1 through 11, there's a woman named Sapphira who was held accountable for following her husband into sin. They both planned it. They both did it. And they both died because of it, because she did not speak up. She did not uh, stop him from that. Um, also, submission is not something that we withhold when the other party isn't deserving. Uh, submission is a command, one that is carried out as to the Lord out of reverence for Christ. Um, so my submission is not about my husband because it is ultimately not to my husband. I'm not sitting here looking to see whether this flawed, imperfect, although handsome, human being in front of me <laughs> is worthy of my submission. Um, my call is to find ways to honor my perfect heavenly husband um, through the way that I submit to and honor this uh, store brand knockoff version that I've been giving. Um, so furthermore, then, I am not going to be saved by the good work that I do being, sub being submissive. Being submissive is not a means of salvation. Um, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that it is by grace we have been saved, not by works, and that it's a gift from God. So then also that means that, you know, your husband is not the fulfiller of all your needs. He cannot grant your salvation. Christ alone can do that. 
Um, next, being submissive is it's like a job description or it's a role that we fulfill, but it is not my identity. I am not so-and-so's dutiful wife. Um, that is not my identity because identity is not determined by your marital status. The only wifehood that defines my identity and the identity of every Christian in this room is being a part of the church, the bride of Christ, saved and redeemed by his blood. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. Psalm 119.93 says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Um, lastly, true life, this good life, the life that's worth living, is not, that's, it's defined by Jesus, not by our ever-changing culture. So submission does not mean adhering to cultural gender role norms, such as being barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Um, it's not about a man's work or a woman's work, uh, what women can or can't do. When we're talking about submission and we see the model of the excellent wife in Proverbs 31, she is a homemaker, a caretaker, and she's an astute and successful businesswoman. She fills multiple roles that's based on the uniqueness that God has given her, and it's because she fears the Lord that she is to be praised. So now, with an understanding of what submission is not, we're going to turn our attention to what submission is. And so full disclosure, for those of you who are ready to get their chip on their shoulder, we're not really going to be talking about who gets the final say or any of like the where is the pants in the relationship kind of talk. Um, you and your significant other, you guys can debate about that and figure out what you think. But what we can see in the Bible is that something unique is happening in this passage in regards to husbands and wives because Paul is specifically talking about husbands and wives, right? But in a sense, it's also not unique Because literally all of us who are followers of Jesus are called to submit to each other and to love each other like Christ loves us. Um, In the same way that Paul tells the wives to submit, we are all called to submit to each other in verse 21 of of, of our passage. And also in 1 Peter 5.5 and also in Philippians 2.3-4. And just like Paul tells the husbands to love their wives like Christ, loved the, like, like Christ loves them, we are all called to love each other like Christ loves us in Ephesians 5.2 and in 1 John 3.16 and John 13.34 and 35 and so on and so forth. So even if the word submit were taken out of the Bible, we would still have these commands, all these commands calling us to holiness, all of these commands calling us to this type of humble, other-focused heart attitude that comes from the word submit. So true submission is a reflection of Jesus' own character and heart. Because Jesus often stated that he was equal to the Father, right? I and my Father are one, Jesus would say. But then he also made it clear that he would submit to his Father. Um, In John 6.38, he says, For I have come down not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Submission is a choice born out of love. Just like Jesus willingly chose to submit himself to the Father's will when he became human and died for us. Nobody forced him to. It didn't have to happen, right? Philippians 2.5 explains that Jesus, who did not consider the equality with God as something he needed to cling to for himself. And so he emptied himself willingly and he took on our form in nature. Submitting to the Father and being obedient even to death on the cross. Jesus purposed to honor the Father by supporting and following his Father's perfect plan. 
This is the heart of submission, to set yourself to honor another, supporting and encouraging as you follow their lead. Supporting an imperfect human sometimes means that we have to disagree with them or encourage them to go in a different direction. But that heart that's set on honoring them never changes. And similarly, true submission is a reflection of how the church should be submitted to Christ. In Ephesians, Paul reveals that, the, that marriage is a metaphor for the relationship between Christ and the church. So when we ask, what does it mean for a wife to submit? That means we're also looking at, well, what does it mean for the church to submit to Christ? And so when I became a Christian, just as when I became a wife, I joined my life to another. We became one flesh. I chose to enter into a relationship in which another being guides me, encourages me, calls out my sin, and asks me to do things that I don't want to do. And I want the other person to do those things. To be submitted is to allow another person to have that influence in your life. I'm submitted to Christ because I know that his influence, his guidance, his input and insight into my life is perfect. Um, A wife should never expect her husband to have that perfect influence, but she is similarly inviting him in to do these things because she values and esteems his opinion. However, just as Israel in the Bible had a history of seeking its own independence and from God and not wanting him to have influence in their lives, the church often seeks to sever that one flesh relationship, and a wife can pull herself away from the submission she has placed herself under and close herself off to her partner. You know, sometimes we find ourselves feeling really far from Jesus, and we wonder how we got there. We don't know how that happened. Sometimes I find myself wondering why I married Jason. Why am I in this relationship? I don't know. I wonder how I got there. But we didn't start off that way. We don't start off far from God. We don't start off far from our husbands. It creeps up really slowly um, without us noticing it because Satan, he prowls around and he looks for any place where he can get his little fingernail in to get a hold on you. And then he slowly wedges his whole hand in there until suddenly his whole arm is between you and your spouse or the church and Jesus. And what is it that causes that wedge? Um, What causes the church to separate from Christ? It's our sin. And what is it that causes a wife to separate from her husband? It's also sin. So this is what um, this looks like in our house. Okay, So Jason here has a 40-track mind and is also extremely, extremely, extremely forgetful which drives me crazy. Um, So sometimes he will change a dirty diaper, instantly get distracted, and will leave the dirty diaper on the changing table. I come in the room an hour later, frantically trying to get everything ready for bedtime, and I see the diaper on the table. And then this is what I'm thinking. This is my inner monologue. Really? He can't even remember to throw a dirty diaper in the trash? It's not that hard. I do it all the time. Doesn't he know that this makes life harder for me? Because now I have to stop what I'm doing in order to clean up after him. He knows I hate this. So is he trying to make my life harder? He doesn't care about me. He he doesn't care about the work I do. He's trying to make my life harder. Ugh, what a jerk. 
And I'm not exaggerating. This is in the months preparing this, I was taking mental notes on what I was actually thinking to be as truthful as possible. So praise God for forgiving husbands. Um, but so I, I stomp out of the room. Jason feels my resentment and boom, we have a broken relationship. But in that inner monologue, where does sin come into the picture? Because there are a million internet memes that can validate my reaction. However, I am not submitted to the world and memes and their definition of righteousness. I am submitted to Christ because I am the bride of Christ. And so I'm submitted to his definition of um, righteousness and what it means to be holy. And what we've seen in Ephesians is that God desires unity and reconciliation, not broken relationships. So when I find myself in this place of a broken relationship, I know that the root cause of it has to be sin and that I need to examine my heart and submit these things to Christ in order to figure out what that sin is. So over the course of our marriage, um, these situations have come up often enough that uh, God has been able to reveal three particular sins to me that we're going to focus on. Um, I call these the subtle sins of submission. And I'm not saying that my sins are your same sins or that these are the only sins of submission. Um, But these sins of submission to my husband mirror what we as the church commit to our husband, Jesus. Um, And so Jason and I want the takeaway from me sharing about my sin and struggles as a wife to be highlighting how we as a church can better submit to Jesus as the bride of Christ. And so these three sins that we're going to talk about are the sin of remaking another in my own image, the sin of believing lies, and the sin of hating the sinner rather than the sin itself. So first, um, the sin of remaking someone in my image. Um, so when my reaction to the dirty diaper on the table is that Jason is doing something wrong because it's not the way that I would do it, I am expecting his ways to be exactly like mine. I presume my own perfection and I leave no room for him to do things differently. There is no grace and there is no understanding for the unique forgetful person that God has created him to be. Uh, When my mind turns to thinking that Jason is stupid for forgetting to do something as simple as throwing a diaper in the trash, forgetting about the fact that he was changing the diaper in the first place, um, I have slandered the person who is created in the image of God. My posture of submission is out the window because now Satan has gotten a foothold in my heart by getting me to believe that my ways are perfect and that I always do everything perfectly. And so therefore now I am the authority on how everything should be done in our house. And we do the same thing as a church, right? We do this as the body of Christ because we want God's ways to be our ways, not vice versa. And so then we slander him, judge him, or get mad at him when he doesn't do things the way that we expect, when he doesn't do things the way that we want, want them done. We get ourselves out of a posture of submission by making ourselves the authority on how things should be done because we want God to be more like us. Um, second, the second sin that we're going to talk about is believing lies. Um, So in that example with the diaper, uh, my presumption is that if Jason truly loved me, and if he were thinking about me all the time and every second, as he should be, that he would do things in exactly the way that I would want him to. 
And so then I assume that because he doesn't always do things the way that I want him to, that he wants to make my life harder, that he is actively trying to not bless or help me. And these are total lies because not only is Jason way too forgetful to remember all the million little things that bother me, um, but also he, for those of you who know him, he is way too good of a man to be sitting there trying to think of how he can make my life harder and then going out and doing them. Um, That's why I married him in the first place because of his excellent godly character. Um, However, once Satan has me believing that lie that Jason doesn't care about me, that he wants to harm me, it becomes so much easier for me to take his authority because he's not doing a good enough job of it. And obviously I know what's best for me and I'm going to always be looking out for my own best interests. So I'm just going to go ahead and follow my own way. Um, But this is a sin because I am commanded to love Jason. And 1 Corinthians 13 shows that love trusts, believes, and hopes. So the lies convince me not to trust Jason. And then I double down on that sinful mistrust by slandering his character and then renouncing my submission and then going my own way. So it breaks the covenant choice I made to walk through life with Jason and allowing his influence instead of submitting to him, instead of submitting to him as my husband. And instead of submitting to him by seeking to encourage and trust the work that God is doing in Jason's heart to um, make him into a godly man, I rebel and I further drive wedges of resentment into our relationship. And again... We as a church commit the same thing, the same sin as the bride of Christ. This isn't isn't even a new thing. All the way in the beginning of the Bible, in the Garden of of Eden, Satan used lies to get Eve to believe that God was holding out on her, that he didn't have her best interest in heart, and that she was better off doing things her own way. And uh, we all fall for the same trick, literally the second oldest trick in the book. When we start believing lies about who God is, about his character, and about his intentions for us and his desires for us, we start to think that God is not good, right? We start to think that he does not have good plans for us, that he does not love us or want what's best for us. We believe that God is mean or stingy or spiteful, that he's slow to bless us and he's quick to smack us. These lies make it easier for us to break his commands, to ignore his guidance, to distrust his work in our lives, especially if it's painful, right? Once we start believing these lies about who God is and does he love me and does he even know what's good, it makes it way easier for us to go wandering off after our own way rather than being submitted to Christ and trusting and hoping in him as our loving husband. Okay, so lastly, hating the sinner. So um, one of my favorite things is watching Jason up here preaching or playing the drums and worshiping because I love seeing him just come alive as he looks at his love, his creator. And so thank you, worship team, for that. Um, it does wonders for our marriage. Uh, so recently, I, I had been feeling bitter towards Jason because this happens all the time. Um, but As I watched him up here coming alive and I was swooning over him instead of worshiping as I was supposed to, um, I thought to myself, why don't I look at him like this all the time? Why can't I always see him the way that God sees him? Somebody who has been redeemed and made perfect by the blood of Christ. 
And so God graciously revealed to me in that moment that what I do in these um, moments is that I start hating Jason because of his sin rather than only hating his sin. Now, not that leaving a dirty diaper out is a sin in and of itself. I know that. But I perceived it as a sin against me because Jason was not following my commands. And I hated him for it. I didn't forgive. I didn't give him any grace. My love did not cover a multitude of sins. And so this is the opposite of submission. I'm sitting here in judgment of him, putting me in the ultimate place of authority, able to judge and decide whether or not he's worthy of love. Now, if I asked you if God has sinned against you, I bet that every Christian in here, anyone who's been to church, could give me the Sunday school answer of, oh, of course not, because God doesn't sin. Therefore, I can't hate the sin and not the sinner because there is no sin with God. So this, this one doesn't translate, right? But when things in our life aren't going the way that we like, when our plans seem ruined and our hopes seem dashed, it's easy to feel like God has done something wrong, right? It's easy to feel like God's not holding up his end of the bargain. Like, God, I went to church today. I, you know, I read my Bible like four times. I'm, this is supposed to go better, right? And so we feel like God is sinning against us. And even in that perceived sin, we can start, that can turn our hearts and make us angry at God because things aren't going our way, because he is doing bad things for us. Or when other people get blessings that we've been praying for, it's just like, I've been asking you for this for years. How is that person just going to up and get it. They don't even follow you. And so then it makes us resent God. And we can, we, we can put ourselves in this position of authority over him, judging him because he is not doing what we deem to be right. And when we do that, we have thrown out our submission. We've decided that he's not worthy of our love or our submission. And so um, even though we've only been married six years, these types of situations come up often enough um, that God has finally been able to beat it into my head a few um, practical actions that I can do to combat these sins of submission. Um, so we want to share those with you. And these, aren't, these actions are not limited to my struggles as a wife, um, although I would appreciate it if you would pray for me to follow them. Um, they... These are actions that we all can do as the bride of Christ in order to help us better submit to our heavenly husband, Jesus. Um, so the first practical action that you can do, um, that I can do, is since I know I have a tendency toward these sinful thoughts, the first step that I need to do is I need to be watchful and alert. 1 Peter 5.8 says to be watchful because Satan is like a prowling lion. He looks for any opportunity to turn my thoughts from God and godly things. So this means that when I find myself in a place of broken relationship or whenever, I have to capture my thoughts. I have to think about them. I have to pray about them. And I have to submit them to Christ for his influence and guidance to let me know if what I'm, I'm thinking is a sin or not. Um, the, oh no, sorry, that's you. <laughs> um, something else that Emma often does, um, that she is not, she didn't feel comfortable sharing this, you know, because it's kind of bragging on her, the rest of us is going to be bragging. Something else that she does is that she makes a habit of intentionally encouraging me. She calls out the good in me and, and, or the good things that I've done, right? And it not only lifts me up, 
it acts as a safeguard for her own mind, which is being focused on finding things to love and encourage and be thankful about instead of searching for new things to be angry about or having those things thrust into her face. Um, We can use this same strategy as the bride of Christ by worshiping God and by being grateful to God, right? By practicing and rehearsing these things out loud. So when we speak it out, it's like an act of faith that kind of cements where our thoughts, where God and his spirit are drawing our hearts to, to pursue. And Emma does not merely set her mouth to encouragement mode. Like Ephesians 4.29 says, she makes a concerted effort not to let any unwholesome talk come out of her mouth. Right? Because with a goof like me as a husband, there are a bajillion things that she can do or say. She can join in every single rant that any wife you could, could, would have to like pile on like, oh, well, let me tell you what my husband did. But she intentionally tries not to do this because she has set her heart on honoring me and on bringing honor to me. Um, and she's purposed in her heart to submit to me as her husband by doing this, by choosing not to dishonor. And again, that's something else that we can do with God. Even when our hearts are, you know, are like stormed up and, what's the word? Roiling is what I want to say. Roiling with anguish because we're mad at God or he hasn't done what we want or all these kind of things. We can set our hearts to, okay, I'm going to turn my hearts to God. I'm going to focus on him. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to be thankful for what he's done instead of, you know, whining and complaining and venting to other people about this. Bring it to God, sure, but don't. Just sit there in that place of bitterness. Now, Emma, the brag session is over because Emma's not perfect at all this, right? She fails all the time, as she would attest to. But even though she's an excellent wife of a noble character, this is, you know, this is a hard thing. We can't keep doing this. But I give her, um, sorry, I messed up. Anyways, think of how many diapers we go through. I bring, I bring her into these situations all the time. And so something that Emma does often, and this is the nuclear bomb of Christian living, the when all else fails solution, is she confesses and repents. Right? And she confesses and repents <laughs> often. Um, sorry, I just tried to swipe the paper. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> when, Emma, <laughs> when Emma catches herself getting into this downward spiral of bitterness, when she, when she realizes, or when I bring it to her attention, like, hey, why are you so mad at me all of a sudden? Because I'm not aware that I've been leaving diapers on the table <laughs> again. But she will confess her sin to me. She will repent of it, and then she'll try to turn away from that sin, right? She will... Uh, look at the list that she wrote. Oh, she also writes down. She intentionally will write down things that she's thankful for or things that she sees in me that are good so that she can remember these things to combat the lies. And so sometimes she'll go back and she'll consult the list. Like, all right, he actually is a good person. Okay, I can, I can move towards forgiveness. Um, and so she will do all these things, all these other steps to combat this sin that she finds herself sitting in. And she won't explain it away. She won't say, hey, but you did leave the diaper on the table for like the bajillionth time. And so we're having this fight for the bajillionth time. She owns up to it and she confesses and repents. Because when we bring our sin into the light, it robs that sin of its power to hold on to us, right? The, the light of Christ starts transforming us as we bring our things to him, as we bring our sins to him. And so because there's so much potential for sin, riding on the few seconds that it takes for a diaper to be thrown away or not thrown away, it's easy for us to get disheartened, right? Like, oh, man, I'm just going to have to confess and repent all the time. That's that's unfortunate. Um, But the good news is that 
we can't, we can't follow all these commands to submit, right? We can't follow all these commands as husbands and wives. We can't follow all these commands as the bride of Christ. But the good news is, is that we don't have to, that our, that our salvation, our relationship with God is not dependent on how well we do or do not do these things. Um, Jesus, our heavenly husband, has, he's the one who makes us holy. He laid down his very life so that we could be fully cleansed of every subtle and not so subtle sin of submission. And he will present himself, or he will present us to himself as spotless and without blemish, radiant. He's the one who's making us radiant. It's not our own works, right? Jesus has already done this. And he does this because he already loves us, warts and all. He's not waiting for us to get our acts together or to fully submit to him perfectly as the bride of Christ or as, you know, an actual bride to your husband. As our husband, he knows that when he's good to us, he's being good to himself. And so he's free to love us completely, humbly, and with abandon. And so that love is ours once we have joined our life with the life of Jesus. When we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he also becomes our husband, loving us perfectly and perfecting us through that love. So are you a part of the bride of Christ right now? Have you accepted Jesus as your husband? If you haven't, Jesus is here on one knee right now saying, will you marry me? Will you become part of this bride? Because he already loves you and no one else will ever love you as completely and as deeply, right? No one else will um, love you for who you are as you are right now while also loving you into being a better person, into being a better you. As we are all changed as we walk in relationship with him, as we submit to our perfect husband and allow his influence in our lives, as we seek to honor, love, and support him in everything we do. And so that's going to be our charge as we go out here, right? As, we, as you go through your life, as you think, um, we're going to close up right now, so I don't know if the band wants to come up or just whatever. But anyways, um, some action points are to think about, God, how do I submit to you as my, as my husband? How, what, what sins of submission am I committing in my daily life? Because it's easy, right? We all have things. And they might not be the ones that we talked about. There might be other things. So you can pray. You can talk to God and figure out, like, God, what breaks our relationship? Why do I feel far from you? Um, and then, you know, when, when you find those things or when someone else brings those things to you, that's when you bring in that confession and repentance. You bring that sin into the light, and Jesus will start changing it. And we don't have to worry again because he already loves you. He already knows who you are. and He's already bringing you into that perfect oneness with him. So we're gonna, I'm going to pray to lead us out, and um, you will be dismissed. Um, Jesus, we thank you so much, God, because you have given us your very self. And you've given us your very self before we've done anything good. And in spite of all the bad that we do, God, in spite of every good attempt that we have that fails, you love us perfectly. And you never stop loving us. You never stop laying down your life for us, God. And so we thank you that we can come to you and trust you and trust the work, God, that we can invite your, your influence in our lives. And we can submit to you knowing that you, you have what is best for us in mind, God, that your purpose or that you have purposed yourself to honor and glorify us and to present us to yourself as radiant because you are glorious, God. And so we pray that you would help us to submit to you fully, God, and that you would show us those places where we don't submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen.